Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Today's message was given by Pastor DJ Ritchie on December 19th, 2021 during our Sunday morning service. We have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. We want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get into it. What determines the value of a gift? Certainly the financial cost of that gift is part of it. We invest a lot of money, many of us, into the gifts that we give this time of year, and the cost is certainly not the most important factor determining the value of a gift, but it is a factor. I asked my son a a week or two ago, uh, Elijah, what do you want for Christmas? He said, everything. I, I share that sentiment. I know he gets that from Daddy, not Mommy, because Mommy is more content than Daddy with the things that Mommy has. But there are many things that I would love to have bought my son, but uh, the value financially is just uh, more than I could invest in right now, and quite frankly, more than he needs at this time as a five-year-old. But there's more to a gift than just the cost. The thoughtfulness is certainly part of it. There are things that I have that were given to me by my grandma, my grandfather, by my parents that I have that weren't uh, expensive gifts and they don't have any monetary value to anyone else, but they certainly have great value to me. The timing of a gift can give it value. A gift that's given when there's a need is certainly going to be more valuable to somebody when uh, they have a need for that gift than when it's given, whether it's expensive or not, when it's given in a time where there isn't a need. The thought, the value, the need, the desire for a gift increases the value to someone else. We all want to be able to give gifts to people that we know they're going to want to receive because we've all seen that look in someone's eye when they open up a gift that we invested and bought them and they give us that Very forced, pleasant, oh, thank you very much for that. And we've all we've been all on the receiving end of that as well, where we've gotten a gift from somebody that wasn't quite what we expected or needed, but we want them to know that we appreciate the thought. The gift that we're going to talk about this morning is all of those things. Now, God has given us many, many gifts. From the beginning of time, God has been giving gifts. Back in the Garden of Eden, God gave incredible gifts to our first mother, our first father, Adam and Eve. God has been giving gifts to man throughout all time. God continues to offer gifts to man, but the gift that we're going to talk about this morning is the greatest gift, the ultimate gift. And I want you to turn with me to John chapter 3. The ultimate gift, the most valuable gift that God could have ever given us. His own Son. 
His only begotten Son. The thoughtfulness invested in that gift that before the foundation of the world, God the Father had determined to send God the Son because He knew what man was going to do with the gift of choice that God gave to Adam and Eve. He knew. He knew that Eve would be deceived. He knew that Adam would rebel. The cross was not plan B for God. God knew from before the foundation of the world that He was going to send His only begotten Son into the world to save the world. And is there a greater need than forgiveness of sin? Is there a greater need than eternal life? Life beyond the grave? That is the need that we all have. To be forgiven. To have a relationship with God the Father that extends into all eternity. God in this gift has given us the greatest gift. The gift of greatest need. The gift that we should desire. Relationship with the One who made us. We desire all of us to have purpose in life. We desire all of us to have significance in life. Friend, there is no significance, there is no purpose apart from the one who made you and apart from the one who created you. And so this, the greatest gift that God ever gave, the reason that we celebrate this time of year, the gift of God's Son, this ultimate gift described for us here in John chapter 3. And so this morning we're going to look at the most familiar Bible verse in all of the Bible. Even people who have never cracked open the Bible and have no idea what John 3.16 says. Many of them, if they were raised in this country at least, have at least heard of that verse. They may not know what it says, but the reference 3.16, John 3.16, even people who have never opened a Bible have heard that verse mocked, heard it referenced, heard it or seen it on uh, what Tim Tebow was wearing when he was uh, playing college football. People have at least heard of it. What does it mean? Why is this verse so familiar? Why is it so important? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now let me set the scene for you as we go to John chapter 3. And I want you for a moment to step back with me to chapter 2, John chapter 2. And I want you to look at what happens leading up to John 3.16. Jesus is just beginning his ministry. He is entering into ministry. He's been baptized by John. He has been in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted by the devil. He's been anointed with the Holy Spirit, empowered with the Spirit of God. The Son of God, when He became a man, He set aside the free use of His divine powers, divine attributes, and He fully submitted Himself to the will of the Father and fully submitted Himself to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And now He has come filled with the power of the Holy Spirit on mission from His Father. And He comes to Jerusalem, verse 14, and found in the temple, it's Passover time, Jesus is at Jerusalem, and he found, verse 14, in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, 
He drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. And then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Jesus Christ has presented himself to Jerusalem. And the first thing he did at the beginning of his ministry was he cleansed the temple. He did this not as an emotional reaction, but he, he planned this. He, he, de, he designed and put together a whip that he took with him to the temple to drive out the money changers, to drive out the animals. By the way, at the end of his ministry... Three years after this event, he's going to come into Jerusalem again in the Passion Week. He's going to cleanse the temple again. But that time he doesn't need a whip. Because that's three years of him calming the storm and casting out demons and doing miracles. And everybody knew his power then. Everybody knew his authority then. But now, not everyone knows who he is. And he hasn't done those miracles yet. He's going to begin to do the miracles. So now he fashions a symbol of his judgment and a symbol of his authority. And he drives those animals out and people are talking and he prophesies about his resurrection from the dead. And he begins to do miracles and people are questioning him on one hand and praising him on the other. And Jesus doesn't care about either one. He's not going to be discouraged by the doubters and he's not going to entrust himself and depend on the praise of men because he knows the praise of most of those people is going to evaporate. By the way, this is just a little extra this morning. Don't be discouraged by the doubters and don't rely on the praises either because the praises can disappear faster than the doubters. And if you're trusting in the word of men to keep you serving the Lord, when that goes, you're going to go with it. Jesus set the example for us. Remember also that this history of Jesus with the temple and with the teachers there doesn't just begin here in John chapter 2. It actually goes back to Luke chapter 2 when he was just a kid. And he was teaching the teachers in the temple. Remember when his parents lost Jesus? They thought he was with another family member and Jesus went to his father's house, the temple. And he began to teach the people who should have been teaching, and they were all amazed at how, how could this kid know the Scriptures so well? Who taught him the Scriptures? Well, actually, the prophet Isaiah prophesied that every morning, every morning God the Father was teaching His Son the Scriptures, His Heavenly Father. Jesus has a long history already with the temple and with the teachers there. And so 
in chapter 3, verse 1, one of the rulers of the temple, who is a Pharisee, and, and not just a Pharisee, but the Greek language would indicate to us that he was one of the most popular, most famous of the Pharisees in the city, the teacher, the master, the one that everybody looked to in his day, Nicodemus, as a representative, we're going to see, of the other leaders, comes to Jesus. And notice he comes to Jesus at night. Listen to what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. There, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus, verse 2, by night and said unto him, Rabbi, teacher, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. See, there's confusion on behalf of the people because they're looking for Messiah. And here comes Jesus and he doesn't come the way that they expected him to come. Even though God told them he would be born of a virgin, when people heard about Mary's virgin birth, they scoffed, they mocked. They thought it was just a story, just a lie. Even though he was born in Bethlehem under the star, even though there was an uproar in the city, even though the prophecy of what happened after Jesus' birth was fulfilled when Herod slaughtered the children and there was weeping, in Bethlehem, even though the prophecies were all falling into place, the teachers did not see Jesus for who he was because he didn't come the way they expected. He didn't look like what they expected him to look like. And instead of coming and praising them, he comes and cleanses the temple. And so uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He doesn't they don't want it public. They don't, want, they don't want the Jerusalem Times to show up and, and write a, a, a report on Nicodemus' interview with Jesus. They want to keep it secret. And so he comes to him, and they know he's sent from God. They know he's a great teacher, but they don't know that he is the very Son of God. They're not ready to receive him as Messiah and friend you can believe that Jesus is a great teacher but believing Jesus is a great teacher is not going to get you to heaven Jesus is going to tell us what you need to do and what you need to believe to get to heaven now as we walk into chapter 3 here when we talk about receiving the gift of God I want to show you that there are three questions that Nicodemus asks Jesus one of them is is implied but we know it was a question because it says Jesus answered But John 3.16, this verse that we've memorized, that I memorized when I was a kid, I didn't realize until I was in my 30s that John 3.16 is the answer to a question. And it's vital that you understand what the question is so that you know the importance of John 3.16. So we're going to look at the three questions that Jesus has asked in secret at night by this man named Nicodemus. Look at the first question. This is one, the one that's implied when Nicodemus comes to him, he comes to him at night. He comes to him for a reason. He wants information. He wants to know what Jesus is all about. And so even though he doesn't articulate it, he's, he's basically asking Jesus in these words, what is the message that you're bringing from God? Listen to how he says it again. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher. From, we know you come from God. We know no one can do the miracles you're doing unless, unless God was empowering him. 
And so the implication is, Jesus, what, what's the message? What, what are you all about? What do you have to say? We don't understand what you're doing. We don't understand what you're all about. And here's what Jesus says. Verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, truly, truly, get this. I, I, I am emphasizing this, Jesus says. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus came to make the kingdom of God possible. Jesus came to set up the possibility that we could one day be part of the kingdom of God. But to see that kingdom, Jesus said, you're going to have to be born again, or more literally in the Greek, born from above. You're going to have to be born a second time Nicodemus. Now, some of you may be wondering what Nicodemus was wondering, and here's the second question. Nicodemus saith unto him, uh, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? You've, you've heard those uh, dumb dad jokes, right? This is a, I don't know if Nicodemus was a dad, but this is a dad joke right here. You're going to get back up in your mama and come back out? Jesus, what he's, he's trying to be funny. He's trying to be flippant. But he has a very serious question. What do you mean, Jesus? I know you don't. I know that's not what you mean. But what do you mean? You know, it's popular today to tell Christians that you shouldn't use Bible terms when you're talking to somebody who's not saved because they won't understand you. You have to speak their language. Now, Certainly, we do have to try to communicate the gospel as clearly as we can. But I remember, I heard this back when I was in, in college, one of my professors many years ago, decades ago now, said you shouldn't, he actually said this to our class of, of would-be youth pastors, you shouldn't use the term born again because people don't understand it. And I, I wasn't as bold back then as I am now. Uh, I was quite shy back in those days, so I didn't raise my hand. But what I wanted to say was, um, isn't Jesus the one who used that term? Did the guy who heard it understand it? This idea that we have to, we have to not use the terms that God used because we, we're going to improve on God's word to try to make it more understandable more clearly. And, and what we're in danger of doing is actually losing the very meaning of God's word. Now, I'm not saying to try to confuse people. I'm not saying that at all. But Jesus is the one who said you must be born again, even though he, he knew Nicodemus wasn't going to understand what he meant. Why would he do that? So that he could get the question, so that he could explain it. Sometimes the problem is we think we understand what we're hearing, and so we stop listening. And sometimes God's word says things to us that make us go, whoa, whoa, wait a second, what does that mean? so that we'll actually stop and listen and think about it, so that we'll actually be ready to receive the answer. So, you're not going to ever hear from this preacher, don't use the term born again because people don't understand it. Nicodemus didn't understand it, but he, Jesus explained it to him. And here's the explanation. Here's the answer, verses 5 through 8. You must 
be born of the Spirit. You must be, what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be born from above? It means to be born by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says in verse 5. Verily, verily, again, I am emphasizing this to you today, Nicodemus. And by the way, the you here, the Y-O-U, in the Greek is plural. So it's not just you, Nicodemus, but everybody in the room is listening. And everybody that, that God knew John was going to share this with in the Gospel of John, this is for all of us. This is you, plural. This is all of us. I say unto thee, except a man be born of water. So this, Nicodemus, is for you. But verse 7 is going to be the plural. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto the, you, all of you, all of y'all, right? Y'all. In, in Pennsylvania, it's yunzes. Down here, it's y'all. Marvel not that I say to y'all, you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. Now, this verse is one of those controversial verses of the Bible, and I'm not going to answer all your questions on it this morning, but let me just say this. In the Greek, in verse 5, it literally reads, except a man be born of water, even the Spirit. Except a man be born of water, in other words, the Spirit. Moreover, the Spirit. So what does Jesus mean by that? Well, turn over, keep your finger in chapter 3 for a second. Turn over with me to chapter 4. Chapter 4 is an encounter that Jesus has with a woman at the well. And Jesus says to her, even though she's a Samaritan and it wasn't customary for Jews to interact with Samaritans, let alone women, Samaritans, Jesus cares about this woman and he sees through the ethnic and cultural divide and he speaks to her and he says to her in verse 10, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it was that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou would have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. Verse 13, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now look over in chapter 7 of John. John chapter 7. If you want to know what John means, let John explain what John means. If you want to know what Jesus means, let Jesus explain what Jesus means. In chapter 7 of the same gospel, chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus says this, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at him at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And I am in the wrong chapter, as some of you uh, who are following along just realized. And I'm wondering why those verses aren't what I have written down. Here we go. Chapter 7. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up. By the way, you must have needed those verses too. Okay, so in the last day 
of the feast, Jesus stood up in the feast in public and he cried out, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of the, his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, when Jesus says you must be born of water, he's not talking about baptism. He's talking about what he says he's talking about. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Except a man be born of water, even the Holy Spirit. The water is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. When we baptize, we're, we are giving a living picture of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we're also giving a living picture that now that we are crucified with Christ, nevertheless we live and we are born again by the Holy Spirit. You must be born of the Holy Spirit. Waters is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And just as Jesus Christ was born of the flesh and anointed with the Spirit, He didn't have a human father, by the way. You know that, right? Virgin born. Conceived of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was born of the flesh and of the Spirit. So we must be born of the flesh and of the Spirit, not by getting back into mama's womb, but by trusting in God, as we'll see here in just a second. Now, what happens when we trust in Jesus Christ and we're born of the Spirit? Look back in chapter 3. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not. Don't be surprised that I say unto thee, you must be born again or born from above. Here's what happens when you receive the Holy Spirit. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. And where we live, man, sometimes the wind uh, blows, through, uh, uh, blows across the, the mountainside or the hillside and through the trees, and you can really hear the wind, and sometimes you can hear the things hitting the roof. You can hear, I, but you can't see the wind. You see what's being moved by the wind. You think you're seeing the wind when you see the tree bend over, but really you're just seeing the power of the wind influencing the movement of the tree. And so as the wind blows where it wants, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but you cannot tell whence it cometh, whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. See, Jesus said if you're truly born of the Spirit, His work in your life is going to be visible. It's not the work in your life that is saving you. It's the Holy Spirit that gives you new birth in response to what we're going to talk about next. But Jesus wants us to, to get this, that if I'm truly born again, the change that the Holy Spirit is going to bring into my life is going to be visible change. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You can't see me get saved. You can see someone get baptized, but baptism is not salvation. You cannot see someone get saved. You can be there when they make a profession of faith, when they trust in Jesus Christ. But you, what you see is the change if it's true. Now, sometimes that change takes a long time to really manifest. Sometimes, there's, sometimes because of 
rebellion, even for a, a new believer, sometimes because of, of lack of, of uh, church support, there's not a lot of growth, and, and it's a breeze. And you have to look real close to see those leaves fluttering. But in time, the Spirit's change will manifest itself. You must, if you want to spend eternity in the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And that means you must be born of the Spirit. So the question that you may have, hopefully that you have if you have not answered it already, is verse 9, Nicodemus' third question, how could this be possible? How can these things be? Literally, how can this how can how can this possibly be true that how can you possibly be born of the spirit if you can't see the Holy Spirit? Because remember, Nicodemus has stumbled over the stumbling stone. Nicodemus has bought into the tradition of men being more important than the word of God because he's a Pharisee. How can this be possible? And so Jesus answers his question, but he answers it in two parts. Notice, number one, there's a rebuke first. The rebuke comes first in verses 10 through 12. And Jesus does something that uh, all good teachers do, and that is ask questions. Now, when a teacher asks questions, the teacher is, is hopefully not asking a question because they need to learn something, but because they want to know what you have learned. They want to measure what you have learned. And so the teacher says, are you the master? Art thou a master, or uh, in the Greek, the master of Israel? Aren't, are you the, the most famous teacher in all of Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know. And testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I told you of earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? So, two parts to this. First of all, Jesus says, why don't you know? Why don't you know? Because the scriptures tell you. And you claim to be an expert. You're an expert in the scriptures and you don't know this. You're an expert. You have all the prophecies about me. In the Bible, Jesus would say later on in this book, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you have eternal life. And, and guys, the scriptures, the eternal life that you're looking for in the scriptures, uh, those, those verses are about me. And here I am standing and you're rejecting me. And so you can carry the Bible all you want, but if you reject the one the Bible is about, then you don't get the eternal life. And you don't get the forgiveness. And so it doesn't matter how big your Bible is and how prominently it is displayed in your house. If you're not believing in the one that the Bible was written about, it doesn't help. He says this also, you don't know because you don't receive our witness. Now, who's the our here? Well, it's Jesus and the scriptures. Our witness Jesus and the witness of the prophets written in scriptures. He said, look, you claim to, you teach all about the Bible, but you don't believe it. Is that you today? Oh, you've memorized verses. Oh, you know, you know uh, what the Bible says, but you haven't really placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
There was never a time in your life when you admitted that you were a sinner bound for hell, but that God loved you so much that He sent Jesus to die for your sin. He shed His blood to pay the sin debt of all mankind, and He rose from the dead victorious. And there's never been a time in, in your life where Romans chapter 10, you called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. You admitted you were a sinner. You, you asked Jesus to save you. You just think, hey, I, I got all the facts. Well, Nicodemus had all the facts, but he didn't have the faith to save. The second thing he says here is, how will you know? How will you know if you have not accepted the earthly illustrations that I'm giving you? If you're not getting the wind and moving through the trees, Nicodemus, if you're not getting the picture of birth, I mean, that, listen, no test tube babies here yet. Not in this room anyways. We were all born. That's one thing we all have in common. We all came through birth, right? So we've all been born. If we can't understand these basic concepts, then how are we going to understand Jesus getting deeper? And so here's what Jesus do. Now he's going he's to explain it anyways. He's going to explain with instruction that you must believe in Jesus Christ. And he's going to say three things. We're going to cover these very quickly. Number one, Jesus tells us that God's word holds the answer. God's word holds the answer. Look at verses 13 and 14. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Two things about this. Number one, the promise of the Old Testament. The Son of Man must come down. Micah 5 prophesied it, that the, the, he who is from everlasting is going to be born in Bethlehem. Amen. Isaiah prophesied it, Emmanuel, God with us, would come through the, through the womb of the virgin. God will come down, number two. That's Christmas, by the way. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, what we should be celebrating. Number two is the picture. The Son of Man must be also lifted up. And he points back to Numbers chapter 21, which we won't take the time to go to this morning, but it's the story of the serpent in the wilderness when because of sin, God sent poisonous serpents throughout Israel, the camp, and they were biting everyone. And can you imagine the terror? You want to talk about uh, a horror movie. I mean, they were living through this terror. And God said, we're going to create a serpent, a bronze serpent on a pole, and we're going to set it up in the middle of the camp, and all you need to do to be cured of that poison is to come to the pole and to look on it and believe, and you will be cleansed and forgiven. And yet, as simple as that was, there are people who said, I ain't making that trip. I'll just, I'll just go to the doctor. I'll just, I'll just take my vitamins. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. I'll just offer an extra sacrifice. No, 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 no. You have to look at the serpent or you will die. And they did if they did not believe. But those who did, they didn't deserve it. They didn't pay for their forgiveness. They didn't pay for their healing. God healed them by his grace through faith. And Jesus said, that's a picture of what I'm going to do. Because I'm going to be lifted up for you. And you're not going to earn it. And you're not going to deserve it. And you're not going to be able to work for it but you're going to have to believe it to be saved. It's pictured in the Old Testament. God's word holds the answer. Number two, 
Friend, God's Son is the answer. How is it possible to be born of the Spirit? John 3.16 is the answer. How do I get to the kingdom of heaven? How do I get to the kingdom of God? Jesus Christ is what makes that possible. John 3.16 is the answer to that. Look at verses 16 and 17. Let's pick it up in verse 15. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have ever eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. God's saving gift, His sacrifice for sin, the Son of Man sent down, the Son of Man lifted up on the cross, to die for our sins, to, ra- to, to rise again as Jesus prophesied in chapter 2. You destroyed this temple in three days. I'm going to raise it up again. I'm going to rise from the dead. He was speaking of his body. And Jesus said, as I'm lifted up, you believe in that. You believe in me, my death for your sin, my payment for your sin. You will be forgiven. You will have eternal life. That gift is offered to everyone. But see, you have to believe it to receive it. You have to believe it to receive it. I can give you a gift. I did not buy you a gift, by the way, for Christmas. I bought you a gift or two, but I didn't. The rest of you, I'm sorry. Um, but you ever, you ever had somebody give you a gift and you, and you misplaced it, you forgot it? That, that, actually, that actually happened to me. Someone had, had given me something. I won't say who or what it was, but somebody had given me a gift, and uh, I thought I lost it. And it, had, it, it was in a card, and it, the card had fallen down behind my uh, CD case, and I was looking for something else, so I moved the case, which you hardly ever do, and, there, and there's that card, and there's that gift. Thank you, Lord, I didn't lose that. There it is. I did lose it, but he, he gave it back to me. That, that gift does no good if you don't receive it. That gift does no good if you don't put your faith and trust in it. The kingdom of God is bigger than Israel. The kingdom of God is offered to the whole world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You think God doesn't love me? Why is he allowing me to go through this? God so loved you and everyone that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can have eternal, you can have life. You do not need to fear death if you know Jesus Christ. Because you're going to live forever. In a moment separated from the body, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And, and these points set us down here that remind us of all that we have lost this year is heaven's gain. Heaven's gain. And our gain, too. It's just temporary separation. The tears are temporary. He will wipe away all, every tear from our eyes. Because of this great gift, God so loved you that he gave Jesus to die for you that he might rise again from the dead to offer you forgiveness of sins and eternal life. God's Son is the answer. And it's why we take that message to the world. God, For those of us who have, I realize most of us here today have received that gift. Friend, our reminder at this time of year is that the most of the world has not received the gift. And many in the world don't even know that there is such a gift. Now I can't make, it's not my gift to give. I can't make them take it. But it's my responsibility to tell them about the gift and to make sure that they understand at this time. I mean, even if people don't believe in Jesus, isn't this a good time of year to bring him up in conversation? And as I told you a few weeks ago, 
If the clerk who probably doesn't even know Jesus tells you happy holidays, just say happy holy days to you too. That's what the word holiday means, holy days. Make them think about it. Why do we call these holy days? Why are these days set apart? God's word holds the answer. God's son is the answer. And here is the, 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 the bitter truth. God's light reveals the answer. Look at what verse 17 said. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But listen, that does not mean that the world is not going to be condemned. Because listen to what verse 18 says. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he is such a bad sinner that Jesus can't forgive that sin. He sins so much that Jesus can't forgive it. Is that what he says? No. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed. In the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh into the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. It's very popular today to blame the state of the world on the failures of the church. And we have our share of failures. But you do realize that Jesus Christ himself spoke and did miracles and shined his light of truth and most people still rejected it. You do realize that the, the, the fate of the world is not because God has not shined his light. It's because men would rather love darkness. And so do we need to do a better job of witnessing? Absolutely. Do we need to do a, a better job of praying for opportunities to talk about Jesus? Absolutely. But this, this idea where it's the, the church's fault that America is in decline, because that, that wickedness is on the rise, friend, Every man will give an account of himself to God. And you're not going to stand before God someday and say, well, that preacher wasn't the kind of preacher he should have been. Or, or you know, my, my mom claimed to be a Christian, but she didn't do this or that. Listen, you're going to give an account of yourself to God. They'll give an account of themselves. I'll give an account of myself. You'll give an account of yourself. Light has come. The problem is not the lack of light. It's that men love the darkness. That's the problem. Condemnation comes because men have chosen to love their sin and men have chosen to love self-deception. Romans chapter 1, we read that a few weeks ago. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 talks about that. The light of God being hidden by Jesus, by the light of Jesus Christ being hidden by the devil so that people don't understand the gospel. The glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul said, is being hidden. Satan is actively trying to blind people's eyes so that they don't respond by faith to the gospel. We're in a spiritual war. We're in a spiritual battle. Tonight we're going to talk about the roaring lion who seeks to devour. You may think that's not a very Christmassy message right before Christmas. You do understand that John said the reason that the Son of God came into this world was to destroy the works of the devil. 
you do re- realize that the whole purpose of Christmas is being hidden by the devil. He, he is actively blinding people's eyes, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And that's the obstacle that we're facing. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle with principalities and powers. Rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. God's word holds the answer. God's son is the answer. God's light reveals the answer. How you can be born of the spirit. It's by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for eternal life. And you must receive that by faith to be born again. And if you are not born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And you're bound for outer darkness. The light is shining. Are you receiving it? Let me, let me close this message this way. Lord willing, on Christmas Eve, we're going to look at John chapter 1. Light coming into the world. But I want you, in closing, to turn with me to chapter 8. John chapter 8. Verse 12. You must choose God's light. By the way, in Scripture, light is symbolic of truth. It's not about your truth. It's not about finding your truth. It's about receiving God's truth. It's about submitting to God's truth. Light reveals who we really are. Light reveals who God really is. Light reveals our need for Jesus. Light reveals how we can be born of the Spirit. In chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spake again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You must believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You must believe in the light that God has provided to you this morning the death of Jesus to pay for your sins, the life and resurrection of Jesus to secure your eternal forgiveness and eternal life. But you must follow. You must believe by faith and follow the command to be born again and to be born again forever. And those of us who have been born again who are following, we are commanded to shine our light for the world to see. So choose light. Choose light. Would you stand as we close? Father, we... Thank you for sending the light of the world, the life, eternal life that is available to us all through your greatest gift. Father, if there's somebody here today, somebody watching, somebody listening to the CD or the podcast that has never recognized their sin and has never recognized their need for forgiveness and need for a Savior, God, I pray this would be the day when they would take that step of faith Call upon Jesus Christ. And God, you have promised us that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and by faith we can be saved. And God, for those of us who have been forgiven, help us to live like it. Help us to walk in the light and to share that light with the world around us. We love and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and you would like to know how, please give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.